Um, I'd like to stay on, uh, on the subject of playing uh, with others, so notably Adam and Paul St Stapleton. So we've mm. talked uh, briefly about 3BP, uh, the three-body mm. problem. Um, mm. So flucoma plays a role here as well. Absolutely. Um, so using NMF, notably, <clears throat> yes. an algorithm which uh, somewhat underused by uh, some people, perhaps for, from it, the the... The grotesqueness of well, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's perhaps the algorithm when hearing what it stands for kind of maybe uh, drives people away. I'm not sure, but uh, yeah. Uh, so NMF, uh, you've used to uh, to create Bobot, which is yeah. a rough uh, simulation of your improvisation practices. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I wonder if if you could uh, talk about this project and how uh, NMF uh, may have helped you achieve some of your goals. Yeah, this was a a, a piece that uh, which which actually exists as a um, um, a video a film. Um, uh, I made a film and with with uh, actually we collaborated on a film. I edited it together in the end. But this this was shown at uh, the what, Nine Conference what two years ago. I and uh, uh, there's there's links to it on uh, Paul's website, uh, Paul Stapleton's website, um, and. Um, uh, this was a this was a project where we thought that we would uh, use flucoma each th the three of us um, to produce uh, 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 simulations of our uh, improvisatory practice uh, and of course uh, and of course these simulations were uh, knowingly um, uh, um, silly or exaggerated or in some ways um, you know humorous. And uh, and I began to refer to these as uh, there was a, a um, Melbot, a Staplebot, and Bobot, right? And these were the the ways in which I referred to it. I think I think my colleagues are a little bit ashamed at my sense of humour, but um, uh, uh, and and the the way we went about this, I think, was kind of interesting. We 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 played together, and uh, and and took a you know multi-channel recording with each of us separated out and uh 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 and then uh we used these uh this to uh we reflected on what we were doing coll collectively uh and interactionally with each other and um uh and then used this to uh suggest uh uh these these uh these bots and in my case, I sort of identified, uh, you know, a, a, a bunch of um, of things that I seemed to do. Uh, you know, I seemed to drone a lot. Uh, then there were, you know, like um, there was kind of frantic sort of noisy bits. Um, uh, there were glitchy bits uh, and so on. Right? And, uh, uh, and I felt that intuitively. And then I used NMF uh, to actually analyze my own, um, you know, performance into a bunch of dimensions. I can't remember. I, again, I suggested quite, you know, I, I parameterized uh, the NMF. So as I think, I think it was a, it was a relatively small number of uh, of dimensions. Um, and to see to see, you know, like the uh, and see what NMF came up with, and then use the 
the kind of um, amplitude of these to, uh, although the, the the activation level of each of these bases to um, uh, configure algorithms which uh, produced uh, impersonations of me. So I made a bunch of algorithms which produced impersonations of, of me, uh, and then these were then driven uh, by the activation levels uh, with respect to bases using the li using live sound. So developed using the recordings that we'd done, and then uh, brought into an improvisation session with live sound. And uh, um, well, and this is mad, isn't it? <laughs> um so yeah that was uh 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 what more can i say it's mad why, why did i do that why on earth did we do that well um, yeah i mean it's it's really interesting this this idea of, of being able to to simulate oneself and to engage with one's own material and you know even in in the context of this archival turn that we we talked about earlier it's 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 something that's yeah certainly quite novel i think i mean perhaps perhaps historically composers could engage with their own material by referencing fragments of of pieces that they've written before but this is really yeah trying to determine behaviors and 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 things like that but how, how did you go about yeah. curating the the sound material for for this 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 system because I mean, obviously you must have lots and lots of material lying about um i mean were you looking for specific things within the material that you were looking for did you did you first reflect on your practice and and kind of think about different things it is that you do or did you go into a collection and just listen for a very long time and remark things how, how did that process um actually before i get on to that um mm -hmm. i just want to go back to something you're just saying right at the beginning about um about making simulations i mean i, I mean something which has had uh, you know quite a bit of uh uh cultural theoretical discussion um is uh are the relationships that humans have with um things like uh um uh, uh fetishes uh mm. um the uncanny uh, the uncanny um ventriloquist dummies um uh dolls uh uh things which are in this uh yes this unheimlich uh zone uh and uh and this is something that uh in in um in uh uh, uh this project we were very much uh, attuned to and uh and uh um in 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 particular i i i became quite obsessed with uh um et hoffman's story the sandman which is actually um uh which i think was uh freud's uh um source uh for for the unheimlich which of course then got developed into by surre in surrealism and and uh elsewhere uh which is a fascinating fascinating story about uh someone who becomes obsessed with uh uh, uh a doll uh um, um and um uh, and I did uh, also a uh, a performance quite a few years ago now, and this is uh, this is actually when I first met um, uh, Chris Kiefer and, uh, and and Alice Eldridge and 
and, and, and a number of other uh, researchers looking at things algorithmic. Um, I did a performance a while ago with a with a, a, a ventriloquist dummy, and uh, whose body actually you can see in the background there. I I, I remarked the head. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so so that's the body of uh, uh, a ventriloquist dummy that I I, I call Stooky John, um, and uh, his head's been ripped off. Now I'm not quite sure where his head is actually. I think, but his but his head his head is used for you know binaural listening. Of uh, uh, there's another doll's head by him. That's actually from a different murderous hideous looking doll that I have, but <laughs> whose head has also fallen off. But and I. And sometimes they go together. But anyway, um, I did this performance with a ventriloquist's dummy, which was listening to the room, and uh, and 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 the conceit of it was that uh, uh, some um, live coding was taking place uh, in the ventriloquist's dummy's mind, and uh, and then this was uh, uh, you know um, providing control voltages for my modular synthesizer, and these things conceits of it and there was a big visualization of uh of uh of of the mind of stooky john with uh uh the code and there was a i wrote a, i i wrote a little kind of esoteric language um you know which uh was was in stooky john's head um yeah no these these kinds of these kinds of relationships i think are fascinating and again again uh that that uncanny sense um uh that disjointed sense and what's going on in that uh and the many different things that can go on in that i think is a is a is a, is, a, is a much is, is a very interesting and diverse field which again would enrich a large amount of our contemporary cultural um discourse about technology and relationships mm -hmm. um and would very much enrich discourses in a lot of mainstream human computer interaction but that was just a reaction to something else you said, and then you asked me another question. Remind me of it. Yeah, well, I was uh, yeah, I was wondering um, when beginning to work on the the Bobot uh, project. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, how you cur curated the sounds that were at the source of 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 of, of this. So the NMF uh, analysis was uh, uh, that was done on this this one specific uh, recording. So there was this one specific recording that we that that we made, the session that we made, and we we select we 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 did a, a a kind of like as it were standard sort of group improvisation session, and we we selected a recording from this which we felt had uh you know the kind of variety that we wanted to investigate, and then that one recording was the subject of 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 the analysis so it wasn't based it so it was just a single single item in in my in in the corpus that i was using but i have used nmf over a a a, a broader range of things there was a, a a performance uh at uh sark uh a year and a bit ago i think um called the sorting box and in that um uh i i worked with uh um a, a set of uh, of recordings made during the course of a year. Um, uh, so this this was in in December of uh, what twenty twenty one. What year are we in? Twenty twenty one. Yeah, December twenty twenty one. And so it was an archive of everything. Uh, of, well, not everything, but a, a, a selection of things, a variety of things that I'd worked on in twenty twenty one. And. Um, 
and then I I I made a, a series of, uh, of 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 time compressed snapshots of each of the recordings. These were long form recordings, you know, so five to twenty minutes or something like that, fairly long form recordings. And I made a series of snapshots of these, and then and then out of that series, that series of snapshots was then made into a, a single file, and then that was subject to NMF looking for uh, a number of bases. And then the live sound again was matched against those bases, and used to suggest um, used to suggest files from the archive, right? So depending upon what the live sound was doing, a, a an array of files was suggested that you might want to use, and uh, I could run this in two ways. And one was to go, give me what's most like, forgive, give me from the archive what's most likely current ongoing sound that hasn't been used already. That was one way. And the other way was, you know, given the ongoing sound, give me from the archive a set of options, which is least like what, uh, you know, is going on that hasn't been used already. Uh, so, and, and then this would automatically be mapped across a, you know, a controller, which, which I would, I could use then to, 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 to mix the sounds. And um, so again, there, and this this enabled sort of relationships of similarity and difference between the ongoing sound and and um, uh, and the archive to be dynamically um, thrown into the mix. Um, there's one other aspect uh, I'd like to talk about. You, uh, where you've been using some of the Flukoma tools. Um, you often talk about walking and suggestions of the idea of rambling and, and physical mm. exploration mm. as being a part of your work. Uh, so this is something that I find really interesting. Um, I'll spare you the details of some of my own research, but I try and build an approach to musical analysis on the, the idea of rambling within an environment as opposed to sort of drilling for oil. Um, but in yeah. your work, however, uh, this goes beyond the metaphor. There are, there are several examples of you going to sites, taking photographs, and I think even talks about miking up a brick at one point. <laughs> All sorts of stuff. Yeah, and and I quote also, uh, playing the confidence level of Flucoma's pitch analysis to convince yourself that you were finding piano melodies as the wind blew through an abandoned house, uh, which is lovely. Um, so I'd love to hear specifically perhaps departing from that example, how you listen to a space, um, both when you're there, but also, uh, for example, navigating field recordings. Um, and how do you allow algorithms to augment your listening to an environment? Um, what role will these different listenings play in your creative process? So uh, I should um, give uh, uh, credit here to Tim Shaw, colleague and collaborator and friend of mine. And um, we, uh, a few years ago, uh, formulated what we call uh, mythogeosonics. And this itself is a concatenation of uh, two lines of uh, intrigue associated with other folk. Uh, so Phil Smith, um, very interesting writer, uh, has formulated, um, writer and performer, has formulated the idea of mythogeography. And he intends this as a kind of corrective or an expansion on the idea of psychogeography. So psychogeography, as uh, formulated by Guy Debord, is concerned with 
the effects that uh, um, uh, uh, an environment has upon uh, upon people, and 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 he and Du Bois' formulations are, 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 are largely psychological in character. Um, I mean, he might have, you know, like psychoanalysis in mind when he thinks about the psychological effects or the emotional effects of spaces. Um, but uh, uh, Phil Smith wanted to expand this, uh, wanted to expand it from psychogeography to mythogeography, to think of a, to think more expansion in a more expanded term about the the myths and uh, uh, deeper history of 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 places and the uh, and the more varied their effects and character can be than is typically talked about in in work which is inspired by psychology. Um, and there's a there's a, a um a memorable passage in Phil Smith's writing where he talks about you know uh, contrasts uh, the mythogeographical approach with with you know heritage discourse you know and so you think about a uh, a place as being like a, a Roman fort and uh, well it has been it was a Roman fort say for about thirty years most uh, the rest of its life it's been. The sites of, uh, you know, where cattle grazed, um, uh, where uh, uh, a building site where the materials of the fort were reused in other housing, uh, a jam factory might have been built there, etc., etc., etc. So, so Smith's uh, idea is to is to really kind of extend one's um, uh, uh, conception of the identity of the place uh, and and connect it. Uh, with um, uh, 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 historical and creative work of a variety of sorts, and um, and Tim and I were very interested in this idea and bringing maybe some of that thinking also to how one works with field recordings and one works with uh, you know the listening to particular places and so uh, uh, not ignoring uh, the sound of uh, the M sixty two. Um, not ignoring, uh, uh, you know, the fact that that, um, you know, uh, howling wind made you think uh, that you'd been visited by a ghost. Uh, not ignoring, uh, you know, uh, a, a whole manner of um, of uh, uh, acoustic so and sonorous phenomena. Not ignoring them. And and again, um, I think you find in in say quite a quite a bit of uh, of soundscape uh, influenced work there is a kind of systematic filtering which is done politically conceptually uh especially when soundscape work touches against noise abatement which it sometimes does uh or 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 where the idea of to use Murray Schaefer's uh term the the, the keynote of of a, of a, of a place is, uh, is 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 selected uh to uh sometimes to uh ideologically work out what the real character of a place is and and to see the rest as noise that's pollution or something like that or a flatline soundscape that's uh, a bad thing so uh so tim and i wanted to bring say some of this uh kind of uh, uh extended conception of what it was it was to listen to a place into into uh uh working with field recordings and the other source that we took uh, uh, to heart was the work of Martin House and Jonathan Kemp, uh, who formulated this idea of psychogeophysics. Uh, so, and in their in their work, uh, they're in, engaged with 
um, uh, the geophysics of various environments uh, and building uh, technologies of sensing devices of various sorts to probe the geophysics of an environment. But they call what they do psychogeophysics. So again, they're connecting up the geophysics of an environment, what can be revealed with various sensors, uh, sonic sensor, particularly sonic sensing systems or data, various systems, with uh, a kind of psychogeographic uh, tradition again, the effects that uh, uh, the, the geophysics has uh, upon people, all the relationships that, that there are there. But again, so we combined in some way the the the, the mythogeography of Phil Smith, the psychogeophysics of Martin Harris and Jonathan Kemp into our own portmanteau of uh, mythogeosonics. So the idea that we could uh, uh, we could have this extended appreciation of the character of a space and an extended investigation of its uh, uh, acoustic or sonorous character, um, um, and and we've conducted a number of projects in, in in that regard and this connects with walking uh because uh you know an an, an undocumented feature uh, of uh you know many field recorderists practice is where do they how do they get to where they deposit the microphones well they walk there you know so um they probably take a bus or a train or um or maybe even fly uh, but you know there will be some. There, there is activity surrounding uh, the, the 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 field recording act. Uh, so it, it, which which actually is is very very commonly walking, and uh, and so we thought again that we would have an extended a bit of an extended appreciation of what was involved in 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 working with field recordings to include walking activity as part of it as part of what we were doing as part of what we were aware of now obviously there are sound walks which uh, um you know uh sound artists uh, very commonly do and again we thought about we 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 sometimes do these kinds of these this work as well but again we have uh 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 we try and have an extended appreciation of of of, of the space so uh, the last thing we would do would be solemnly well uh Tim has some work which is a bit like this, but but no, not really. The last thing we would do would be solemnly walk in single file, you know, very carefully listening to the environment. We're much more likely to chat amongst each other and uh, and and you know point out uh, uh, the, the the remains of the jam factory or the Roman fort or the whatever that was previously there. Make the occasional recording, improvise, do bring some little synthesizers and improvise in the environment and so on. So, so, uh, but, but walking, it's interesting. You were mentioning about walking metaphorically and thinking, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a, as a kind of metaphor. Uh, uh, but actually, I think there is sometimes this interesting zone where something, things are more than metaphors, you know, um, and, 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 and it's more than a metaphor, uh, uh, thinking about walking and thinking about the way, say, a, uh, I might organize an improvised performance. Um, there's a, there's a set of common kind of values and percepts there to do with, uh, um, uh, encountering heterogeneity. So, you know, when you're out for a walk, there's all sorts of things that you might see, uh, and and all sorts of uh, things kind of uh, 
impinge upon the environment. If, if again, you have this sort of more expansionist way of thinking about, about the environment. Uh, many sorts of things bump up against each other. Uh, um, and you encounter surprise always, uh, um, if you're open to it. And, uh, and that kind of sense of contingency, heterogeneity, encounters. Also, a walk is a matter of physical exertion. And uh, it's a matter of, uh, you know, working with the body and uh, 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 in particular ways. Uh, and, and, all of, and those are features, I think, which are kind of um, can relate to a musical practice as well, a musical performance practice, an improvisatory performance practice. Um, the idea of the path, uh, you know, and the way in which the path unfolds, um, uh, the contrast between, you know, wayfinding and navigation, uh, you know, which, uh, Tim Ingold writes about, mm -hmm. and again, thinking about musics, which are about wayfinding rather than navigation. Mm -hmm. Uh, so, so I think, you know, there's a. Um, yes, a, a walk, uh, the idea of walking can be used as a metaphor, but actually underneath it, there are uh, a series of values and percepts there, which uh, make it more than that. Mm. One thing that <clears throat> I found interesting, um, I can't remember if it was in your Sark talk or, or an, uh, another one that I may have seen. Um, you were talking at one point about, I, I think this was when you were talking about the miking up of a brick, ah. uh, or it may not be, I can't quite remember, but uh, you were talking about a, a venue in Ipswich, I believe, where you used to you used to perform and you used to, ah, yeah. to uh, that was very big in the scene that's now become, uh, what's it become? It's a uh, Renault garage. A Renault garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, not the whole building was flattened. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But it, yeah, it was it was interesting, and there was another occasion I can't quite remember where, but it, but where yeah, you you talk about the histories of places and mm, and, mm. and 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 yeah, what, what you were talking about before with the psychogeography and the mythogeography and geophysics and and there seemed to be a lot of talking about regarding the place, not mm. only being able to measure the phenomena at that moment with all these. You know tools that we have but also bringing that into contact with the the psyche yeah. which also implies the, this kind of temporal dimension to to, to places and and, and exactly. that kind of perspective and and it also made me think of uh you talked about i it may have been for the sorting box but it may not have been um you uh, uh you talked about becoming somewhat obsessed with uh with a painter from ipswich i believe I may ah, be John Moore, may, possibly. Yeah, I may be misremembering, but uh, yeah, uh, who painted things around Ipswich, and and mm. and and yeah, that perspective of a painter that's perhaps lived all their life in a place and sort of seen this place develop over time, and 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 choose to to offer snapshots around that place. But yeah, it's it, it's it something is. I find really interesting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I did. So uh, the piece you're referring to was um, uh, a performance I did at um, the Spill Festival in Ipswich, uh, which is um, usually an annual festival um, in Ipswich. It's on this. It's on this this coming um, autumn, uh, 
And uh, the Spill Festival is quite a long-standing festival. It used to it used to be um, at the Barbican in London, and then it was it um, was uh, relocated to Ipswich because the, the 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 man who was running the festival at the time, Robert Pasiti, he's he uh, is from Ipswich, and um, uh, and it, it it's uh, you know it's one of the exciting things in my hometown, um, you know. Uh, and uh uh and it's quite uh, uh certainly when robert was uh, curating it there was uh, quite a lot of uh you know uh risk taking in how he programmed it and um some quite uh you know um uh uh performance art body based performance art that a lot of people would find very uncomfortable and um uh, and robert uh programmed me for one of the um um, slots at the last festival he spill festival he he programmed a couple of years ago and i did a piece called uh memory grinder resonance machine and uh um and it it, it had various parts to it there was an installation the whole thing lasted about an hour there was an installation i read a text uh and then i you know improvised with various materials for 20 25 minutes as well so it was about an hour long performance and um i i selected uh four sites uh around ipswich which as i say is my hometown near to ipswich i live right now um and uh and these were sites which in some way had a, a personal significance but also i also sort of entered into different kinds of mythologies and histories of varying levels of scale and uh and the brick to which you refer um was found at a um a site of a a mansion um just outside the town or well it's now well in the town but it, when it was built it would be more on the outskirts of it which one of the the local uh Huguenot families uh um arist local aristocracy lived in and this this building was demolished when i was quite young and it's quite and it became like a um you know the equivalent of a, a bomb site playground for a, a lot of us kids growing up and uh uh and um and i had these various sort of fragments of memory about 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 there and uh but it was built over with a new housing estate um oh i don't know about uh, 30 years ago something like 20 30 years ago uh with, with very large highly desirable residences and um um and i thought i'd in look investigate the site and and of course around the edges there are traces that remain there are traces that remain of of this of this estate the um there's 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 what i think for example is a a, a lump of wood uh uh enigmatically out of the ground with a metal hook on a rusty metal hook on it which i think was where their tennis court uh tennis net uh was hung um there's uh there's still some embankment around one side um uh there's still a, a, a an interzone behind some of these luxury houses which is which features the overgrown rose garden that was 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 there when i was playing there as a child and I found a brick. I found a brick which was characteristic of, uh, and I found an old photograph. And I think this was a brick from uh, the window of this uh, this mansion that we played in, 
And so I made a series of recordings around this uh, environment. And I did, I looked into the history of, uh, of, 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 of this house and found some, uh, a reminiscence of, uh, a, uh, an 80 year old woman who remembers, uh, being invited by the aristocratic family, uh, as a girl guide. And they, uh, and they sang songs, uh, around, uh, you know, the campfire at this, uh, uh you know, aristocratic house. And, um, and they, uh, particularly remember, singing um um oh no john no john no john no the, you know that that sort of uh kind of probably fake song but folk song um and uh and i thought oh well this is just like uncanny i'm being warmed off this project altogether so by i'm being told by this uh, 80 year old woman no john right um and then I thought, right, okay, well, this is this is very interesting, and uh, uh, I wonder where. Let's see if I can find a, a connection into that song. And I, I found the um, that the Red Army Choir, when uh, during Soviet years, you, in the fifties and sixties, used to regularly tour. And I found this amazing recording of the Red Army Choir singing, "Oh no, John, no, John, no, John, no." So I subjected that to various manipulations. And had that as one of the pieces that I played. And at the performance, after uh, the performance I, I I did at the end of it, which which finished uh, with uh, a kind of spectrally transformed Red Army Choir mingled with um, uh, hydrophone recordings taken from the dock and so on, and quite a quite a melancholic uh, 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 end. Um, uh, a fellow came up to me in tears and uh, and said, uh, "Who who was a member of test department and had played with the Red Army Choir?" And so I recognised that <laughs> I recognised the Red Army Choir. And these kind of uncanny connections, I think, are, are, are just really interesting. And there's nothing reductive there, you know. That I, 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 there's no way I can say I can tell you the story of this piece without telling you all of that. You know, without telling you that, you know, I played at this site as a child, that's led to various associations. I found a brick, I scraped a contact mic over it, I found, uh, uh, you know, an account from a 80 year old girl guide. She talked about singing this song, this song, then I found a recording of this song. This made me also think about, you know, the Soviet era and going up in the Cold War and, and, and then lo and behold, uh, someone turns up at the concert who's actually played with the Red Army Choir. I mean, you know, this these are the kinds of things that really, you know, the kinds of associations, open-ended associations and entanglements that really excite me and things. Yeah. Oh, no, it's really beautiful. It's a, it's a lovely perspective. And, yeah, the, the these kinds of assemblages, and rather than just kind of because it's obviously this place had a you know a, a personal significance to you because you know we're growing up there and, and but engaging with all this history and not just kind of coldly going in single file as you said with a mic and, yeah. and filtering out the the noise of the nearby motorway that is coming it's it's uh, yeah and it makes for really rich rich um connections and and and, and emergencies that can that can that can arise and that's exactly the sort of thing Tim and I wanted to capture when we formulated this idea of mythogeosonics. And um, 
uh, you know, like to be to be open to uh, an extended mythological appreciation of a site and it's uh, you know and and connecting with its uh, with its history, its geography, uh, its geology as well, and uh, uh, and thinking of you know um, uh, multiple ways in which you could work sonically, multiple mm. ways in which you could work sonically. Mm. There's another piece Tim and I did where which we called Berlin Sensor, which was at uh, um, uh, the um, um, uh, Vorspiel program of the CTM festival in Berlin a few years ago, uh, where the conceit of the work was to regard uh, uh, the city of Berlin as a as a sensor, as a giant sensor system, and then see if we, you know, could find various sites which would somehow reveal, uh, you know, uh, mysterious things and interesting things to us. Um, so again, like a you know, there was a a, a conceit that motivated the project uh, a provocation a brief if you will if you want that kind of designerly discourse but there was something um that that you know like was uh the germ of a project and then we had multiple reactions to that uh and uh and 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 created a, a series of activities walking activities and also performance work in relationship to that mm -hmm. great um perhaps uh to 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 finish I'd, I'd i'd like to move on to a few more kind of broader questions uh returning now perhaps to more kind of designerly centric mm. uh kind of vocabulary I'd, I'd i'd first like to come back on something that uh you again mentioned in your sark talk um so we've uh yeah we've we've established how uh, you have a long history uh not only in hci but also in computer supported cooperative work which um aren't quite the same thing but no, no. similar similar ideas gravitating around them i suppose um you mentioned your 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 long-term struggle with uh the rationalities attached to computing and user-centered design uh, which you describe as problematic mm -hmm. and this topic has cropped up in a number of uh in a few of the previous episodes of this podcast um, and i'd love to get your take um so notably kind of fighting against the idea of a of a kind of ideal hci which is mm, mm, sold mm. to us as being desirable where the relation between machine and human would evaporate mm, where, mm. where the sending of messages between the two would be seamless perfect and optimal to borrow says mm. words mm, mm. um so we've kind of We've been skirting around this idea when talking about AI uh, earlier on, but um, mm. yeah, I'd, I'd love to get your ideas on on, on interface and, and relationships with machines and translation of of, of agency, especially with the, this, this background that you've got in HCI. Yeah. Um, quite a few years ago, I think this is in the 90s, um, I wrote a paper uh with uh computer scientist tom rodden um uh which we called exploding the interface and um uh and at the time i was uh, well as i still am from time to time quite under the influence of uh of you know various contributions to the sociology of science and technology sts work and uh and uh i was thinking uh and also 
Uh, um, and again, this is a bit of an influence in some of my thinking. I was, I was, you know, quite big with the sort of Foucauldian discourse analysis kind of uh, work as well. And I've written about those sorts of things in an HCI context uh, a number of times. And I thought I'd do a kind of um, a discourse analytic approach to uh, the interface and and how how the concept of interface emerges and uh and of course uh, interface uh works within a field of concepts uh, uh where there's some separation right so there is a separation between one element and another element and then there's an interface which is uh, uh a location of problems a location of of challenges of issues uh which of course, uh, so it's dependent upon some kind of separation, and then of course the, the 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 curious rhetoric of HCI is in some ways, well, having separated uh, user from system and identified this problematic area of interface, we now have as a design challenge mending that difference, mending that separation. And the question sometimes arises, well, just to the, the nagging question arises as well, to what extent does that the problem of the interface arise because you've already made the ontological separation? You've already made an ontological separation. So to what extent is this 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 problematic zone uh, come into existence as a result of your own operations? Uh, is it is it is it not possible to uh, you know dispense with this idea of the interface and dispense with the the field, the, the the separations that create this this locus of of trouble, um, and so from time to time, I've and, and that was kind of the, the argument that, um, uh, or one of the arguments in this paper that I wrote with with Tom Ron, and from time to time, I've kind of replaced the idea of I thought instead of uh, the interface, can we not think about interfacing? Can we not think about activities, you know, so rather than situating something, identifying a locus for, for, for something, can we, can we not think of something as, as, as something more processual or something more practical, uh, embedded in a practice, a practice of interfacing, right? Uh, and if one were to think about that, uh, you know, an interfacing is something which, uh, you know, accepts that there, you know, there's, there's, there's a, an ontological field that there might be separations in and then there might be relationships, but this is an ongoing activity. This is an ongoing practice and process uh, that might actually be ongoing moment by moment. So in some of the improvisation scenarios and some of the ways of, of thinking about improvisation I was talking about earlier, I, I think I'd quite like to think about things a little bit like that. So you know what separations there are you know uh, you know am, am i a user engaged at the midi interface or am i just standing by listening to uh you know like a drone for 20 minutes uh those are different positionings and those are different relationships and they might occur as a single performance unfolds as well so um yeah so so shifting shifting a focus from having you know thick fixed entities ontologically separated to in 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 terms of, of 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 thinking about how if those fixities do emerge how they're produced uh and 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 part of the way in which they're produced is through the rhetoric of hci is through the the conceptual commitments that hci has and those conceptual commitments also 
um, uh, have parallels, of course, with the the the, the development of, of of commodities and and commodity production. You know, so so you know the interface then becomes a, a site of elegant design. You know, or or something that hides uh, something that hides the workings of a, a of an application, which is not available. You know, except through the interface, right? Mm. And this is actually one of the reasons why I like pure data and not Max, is because all of the workings are on the same level, and there's none of this interface nonsense hiding away the the the, the difficult stuff. Um, um, truly, that is one of the reasons why I work with pure data. Is I do like I like the way you know what might be regarded as a widget and what might be regarded as a code element commingle and uh you know uh, and and there's uh, yeah and you can nest things and you can do things about that but the, as it were the natural status for them to commingle uh yeah and and Karen Barad has been a quite an influential thinker on me in recent times with respect to some of these ideas and her 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 sort of reading of Niels Bohr's understanding of uh of, uh, of 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 quantum physics uh and how how the experimental apparatus uh creates uh, uh, uh a kind of uh uh an enframing within which phenomena uh become palpable right so and 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 but without that without that enframing kind of combining barad's language with a bit of heidegger there but, but without that enframing there's uh uh, uh it, it, it's indeterminate what happens it's indeterminate what happens uh but with that framing it becomes determined and 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 that idea that that, that some kind of bounding some kind of uh apparatus uh in a in a extended sense it, it creates uh the differences the separations and is productive of the phenomena i think that's a very that's a very interesting way of thinking and and it is actually also a way of thinking that uh can be applied i think to some of the foundational commitments in computer science um and in certainly in, in artificial intelligence cognitive science i mean so so if we if we think of like all of those thought experiments like um uh alan turing's uh imitation game uh, uh we think about or, or, or responses to it like uh, uh john Searle's chinese room uh these are these are all thought experiments which involve some kind of end framing some kind of boundary some kind of boundary some kind of restriction on what can pass across that boundary so in uh in the turing mind 1950 paper what can pass across that boundary is um uh gendered impersonations at a teletype i mean it's uh it's it's a complex paper actually it's and it's not actually exactly as people tend to um uh relate it as if uh it's 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 a complex one it's about it's about uh um indiscernible differences in deception uh it's not about simulation in a, a straightforward way it's a complex paper but anyway there's still this kind of restriction of of what kind of can can pass in and out and and uh and it's the same in Searle's um you know anti-cognitivist uh um uh idea of the Chinese room there's a, a thought experiment about you know restrictions about what can pass in and out and uh and 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 and, and so so these kinds of boundings you know they're productive they're productive of in you know all of the writings following on from uh tearing they're productive of cognitive science they're productive of particular ways of thinking about things uh but but what's often 
unnoticed is how is how that enframing takes place in order to create those possibilities of discourse. Um, and in some ways, I think, as you can probably tell, you know, my 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 practice, my disposition, uh, you know, my 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 passion to the extent that it is, is 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 to not take those things for granted, is to see those enframings as productions, as things which. Uh, which are brought, uh, you know, as practical affairs, as things which, uh, you know, can come, can, can indeed come into existence and can indeed have their effects, but things can also be otherwise. And actually, sometimes it's kind of interesting to uh, uh, follow the wavy path otherwise. Mm. Oh, it's a really fascinating take. Um, and we'll, yeah, we'll be, I think, sort of concluding our chat a bit later, sort of returning to the kind of emergent ontologies and ontologies of displacement kind of perspective that seems to be at the basis of a lot of your thoughts. Um, but perhaps before that, I'd like to concretely talk about um, something you mentioned there, which which, uh, which I'll tentatively ask, um, but it's because I I'm, I'm, would really love to hear about uh, your relationship concretely with uh, your creative coding environment, which is mm. pure data, as, as you talk. Mm. So I do ask it with care because, um, you know, I don't want to appear like a cycling 74 salesman and I <laughs> expect, uh, pure data users get tired of hearing the question, why pure data rather than Max? But um, I will back up my question by assuring you that I, I started in pure data and I spent many, many hours <laughs> coding things in pure data and I, I didn't get max for at least three years i don't think um i was seduced by the shininess of the interface the, the tidiness of some of the patch coding we can do um but more seriously by uh the breadth of the plugin libraries for example or the scope of scripting yeah. uh, that was possible at my level because i didn't have the chops to write externals or pd objects or but i could write javascript you know that, that kind of stuff yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd love to know. So we talked about some of the reasons. Um, I'd love to know how and why you've come to use pure data, your your kind of relationship with it over time, um, what you see its affordances and limits being. Um, yeah, and your your relationship with this very specific environment, this creative coding environment where, where many of us spend so much time. Mm -hmm. Um these these are these are very interesting questions and uh i'm there are many ways to skin a cat um and i my own history is i it, this would be sort of mid mid to late 80s i i want i i i began to try and start doing things with available um computers which were available to me at the time and and wanted to and 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 I came and the first first things I started doing was was with C sound um spending you know like uh all night for uh you know a sound file to compute to only then realize that I multiplied by zero somewhere and everything had gone flatline um and also with a lot of a lot of uh, other systems which were around there were some very there's a, again sort of early to mid 80s there was uh uh hmsl uh, which was a object oriented extension of an extension of fourth and you know and it was like um 
and it and it meant you could do you know basically wacky midi stuff um uh but so many layers of complexity to actually uh, get anywhere and it was in fact max that i uh came to first of all uh, but this is like in version two or something like that 2.5 3 i'm not really sure uh when it was midi only so this is before msp and way before jitter and all of that and so i worked with max um uh uh extensively uh so um and then uh, and then, you know, once Cycling 74 sort of took over the marketing of it and we, uh, and MSP and Jitter were added in, I, I had a, you know, uh, an environment with, uh, with all three, with all three working in there. And, um, and then I actually had a licensing dispute with Cycling 74 and I won't go into the details of this. Um, but, uh, uh, um, uh, I had, uh, um, my, at that time you needed three different licenses uh for you know max msp and jitter and uh um and cycling 74 were insisting that uh um uh some of my licenses that, that, that my three licenses wouldn't work together and i i needed to actually um uh start afresh uh with two of the products in order to have all three to upgrade and i said oh this is silly i said you know and we had we had a little bit of dispute this is this is historic this is 20 years ago uh but my work up until about 2003 4 was 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 with max now of course round about the same time is exactly when you know the the versions of max came in where there was uh you know the shiny interface was um you know uh developing um uh um developing it you know interface device and, and the separations of interface from you know underlying uh code uh you know were 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 there and supported um and this was precisely what i didn't want right because as i was saying earlier the 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 commingling of uh you know things which are uh interface widgets and and code and and trying to get things uh, as as much as possible at the same level and and regarding and also regarding screen acreage as uh as uh, uh, a physical constraint right mm. rather than something which is awkward and has to be got round with extensive nesting or whatever actually regard the screen acreage as uh as as, as an interesting and useful um working constraint upon what you what you're developing those mm. were all things which were important to how i was working um the idea and, and also i mean i my my uh uh max code and my pure data code i mean can't do segmented patch cords but i get around that in various ways and uh i i try and make it actually use the physical organization of the of the of the code on screen as an indication of the relative completeness of the work so you know things which are relatively complete are neat tidy and tucked away and in one side and there's things which are ongoing or are a mess and 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 those are all interesting i think things for me and i found i found pure data was just at the right level really for for for, for me and for what i wanted to do and the kind of work that i do it has a kind of strange it has a sort of um 
I like to, I like to do things as foundationally as I can. Uh, you know, uh, uh, if if um, if there's an algorithm to write, I'll try and write it from first principle. Um, and if I fail, then I will try and fail interestingly. Right. So I'm not. It doesn't concern me a great deal, uh, um, or it doesn't always concern me a great deal, the availability of certain kinds of libraries. You know, uh, if if there's a library which uh, is you know consists of you know basic stuff, okay. But if there's a library where a lot is uh, uh, is built in and a lot of other people's work, you have to accept. It takes me a while to get uh, uh, happy doing that. So it's taken me a while with Flacoma, right? And it's precisely taken me a while with Flacoma. You know, so there's quite a few things that I'd quite like to do and still quite like to do from first principles. And the fact that I do it badly and, the, uh, you know, and the fact that I don't, you know, uh, I don't write in, in C, I don't write, you know, and I'm still, um, I'm still working with abstractions and, you know, at the, you know, with pure data objects and vanilla where possible as well, uh, that I'm, that I'm working in this kind of, uh, you know, crude way, um, is part, is part of how I do stuff. Um, and, uh, and, and, and if I, as I say, if I get my, my first, my developing stuff from first principles wrong, I try and make it interesting, spectacularly wrong. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, that idea of <clears throat> screen acreage as well is something that, um, yeah, you, especially, well, I suppose, yeah, I, I, I put my hands to it, up to it as a Max user. Mm. <laughs> it's something that, yeah, it's not something that I kind of think about that much anymore, I suppose. It's, uh, yeah, I've, I've kind of got into this cycle of, of breaking things up into sort of neat packages ah, and abstractions and, ah, and yeah and and even now i've got into this habit of of making help files for every time that i finish kind of conceptually finish doing an abstraction that will do a task that yeah, i know yeah, i want to use yeah. again i i can and that way i kind of can put it in a drawer or in a folder in my computer yeah, yeah. conceptually yeah. and and kind of forget about it and and know that if if ever i need it again i'll be able to, to kind of come find it again and, but yeah and it, and and so without even kind of realizing it you you see you end up with these invisible kind of winding networks of things which you think you've got a lot of control over because you've got these very kind of tidy mm -hmm. you know trying mm -hmm. to make as many as few boxes as possible on the screens as one can do but uh yeah no it's 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 a really interesting concept and it, it is interesting to hear people talking about relationships with with things like especially pure data and max which are you know very graphical yes um compared to something like super collider or, or processing yes. which is yes. which is text space yes. um yeah it's re really this this space that one can organize and that can can extend some of the physical spaces that we might um be used to working with yeah i suppose also of course the you know one of the you know um intentions you know right from you know the early work of miller puckett uh uh onwards uh you know since in some sense there's a there's a signal flow going on you know mm. and, and you're seeing signal flow mm. and and of course there's there's always a tension between you know well yeah uh something which is 
being computed at a, a very fast rate versus something, you know, other signals which are, you know, um, at a very slow rate. And how do you, you know, have all of that in the same space? And that leads to various troubles and and uh, 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 specific resources required, you know, to move between, say, control um, signals and and uh, and audio signals and so on. And and uh, but the but that's but that that fundamental idea that there's some sense of signal flow and connection mm. going, which of course you don't get clearly from a text-based um, uh, language. Mm. Um, Whereas you don't get clearly get that from looking at super collider code. Um, I mean, the practiced eye does, you know, if you, but, uh, but you don't, you don't. And, and, um, and I mean, I do, I do, I, I haven't done much work with super collider because again, I suppose this, uh, you know, um, um, the, 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 I'm so much in love with the the scruffiness of non-segmented patch chords and mess on the screen and screen acreage, uh, uh that, that just makes such sense to me and in, in uh as a as a kind of messy uh, appropriately messy way of working you know but sometimes i work with um uh i've worked with other languages uh python some from time to time uh um years ago prologue that was kind of amusing uh uh but uh yeah and things which have different programming uh, uh paradigms um but I keep coming back to pure data. Mm. And uh, I'd be remiss not to give a quick shout out to, to James Bradbury, who worked on the Flickering Project, who also um, built a library, as you mentioned, Python, uh, mm. who, who built a, a wrapper around some of the command line tools for, for Flucoma, who, um, that make them available in Python. So if anyone out there listening is wanting to use some of the Flucoma stuff in Python, then that exists. I think it's flucoma python it's called or something like that i can't, can't quite remember um yeah great uh one question i wanted to ask you which is is kind of taking a bit of a sudden left turn but um or right turn whatever <laughs> uh I'd, I'd like to ask you something that um that's cropped up a number of your writings which struck my interest um on quite a a naughty personal level, I suppose. Um, it's your your use quite often for the word annotation. Ah, yeah. yeah. Um, which uh, so sometimes to designate what one would perhaps more naturally refer to as a label or a, a classification or a, or a collection. Um, so I just wondered maybe if you could explain the choice of this term, um, perhaps in the context of your archive X project. Uh, mm, yeah. Um. Because, yeah, in some of my current research, um, I was also struck listening to you talk about Karen, uh, Karen Barad's ideas of intra versus interactionary mm. action, because in the the team I'm working at the moment, we talk about inter and intra documentary mm. annotations. But um, interesting. yeah, but but anyway, yeah, I think it could be in, uh, it could be interesting to, to discuss the term of annotation mm. or, or maybe even terms that we use when talking about archival things mm, um mm, mm. in the context of flucoma and, and corpus mm, navigation mm, mm. i think this is um uh i mean i talk about annotation for a very specific a specific reason it's a term which has a specific history 
and um uh between uh, about 2005 to 2012 um i worked very closely with uh uh bill gaver and the people working around him who at the time uh we were based at uh, uh goldsmiths college in london and and bill is uh is well known for um uh bringing a kind of design oriented approach to hci research um uh sometimes characterized as research through design or research through art and design uh the idea that uh by making things uh by engaging in you know designerly processes uh that one can interrogate research issues or inf inform research issues uh in that way uh and that artifacts are that you might design a a kind of uh um uh, vehicles for the exploration of research issues they're less uh tests of theories or tests of uh uh of 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 uh of, of, of frameworks uh they're more uh vehicles and the whole design process is a vehicle for uh, interrogating design issues and i was very very influenced by and i worked very closely with bill for quite a while so some of the classics coming out of that laboratory um also involved me and i i in particular uh did a lot of ethnographic work uh looking at uh, the kinds of uh designs that uh, that uh, group were producing and what happened when they you know people worked with them and um studies and and use sort of as i say anthropological social scientific research methods to investigate those things rather than sort of classic hci user studies um now um that grew produced um, a large number of, of very interesting artifacts and you know the classic way in which we would work is uh uh you know we'd work on a uh, the development of a particular piece and uh and then and that would explore uh, a bunch of issues and we'd write a paper about that and we'd do that every year uh in time for the kai conference and um and that was quite a quite a uh, an interesting way of working there'd be you know there'd be There'd be something which was the focus for a you know a large number of people uh, working in the in the research group on different aspects of it, and and we'd have these this series of artifacts, right? Now, after a while, of course, once you've done this a few times, you begin to wonder about what the relationships between these different designs might be, these different things that you've made. Um, you've made a bunch of them, uh, and because of the way you we typically worked as academics each one had its own paper its own paper its own concerns its own concerns and was there a way of sort of mapping relationships similarities and differences between things and the concept of annotation emerged in discussion between me and bill along these lines that an annotation was applied to a corpus of work uh and 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 or a collection of work mm -hmm. and applied to that collection it became a corpus of related material or a portfolio of related material and um in 2012 i wrote a paper called the logic of annotated portfolios uh which gives a quite an extensive extended uh workout of this concept of annotation uh, this concept of annotation as a way of, of of charting the similarities and differences between a variety of makes if you will uh with uh, uh within a portfolio of related work and um 
and also the idea of an annotation and this is why uh this is this is and why it has a particular logic the idea of the annotation was that it was it had an indexical relationship to the artifacts that it related to that is if you wanted to know what this annotation meant part of how you found out was to look at the artifact that it referred to Right? And if you wanted to know the character of that artifact, part of what you might do was look at the annotations that it had received. So the annotation and the artifacts were in this kind of indexical relationship. They pointed to each other. Um, and so, and that idea has stuck with me for a long for, for a long time now, you know, over 10 years. And the idea, the way in, and the idea that you could use this concept of uh of an annotation which maps similarities and differences in a corpus of work um uh that you could use this reflecting upon um your own personal archive and this is what i did in the project archive x uh and i think there's a talk and a and a film of uh, uh again on the um sark um youtube of of a, a talk and a performance i did related to, to this i looked at uh uh, again, a, a you know a whole bunch of recordings and films I'd made, and and annotated that, and then used that annotation to organise uh, a performance, an hour long performance, into different sorts of episodes uh, around different annotations, and those annotations were given a kind of slightly sort of poetic character. They weren't uh, they weren't the the kind that you might uh, present in a Kai paper. You know, they were uh, you know. Um, um, and, uh, uh, so that's one kind of idea that, that, you know, taking a, a whole bunch of stuff, charting its similarities and differences in a way which illuminates and is illuminated by the corpus and use that as a way of organizing work. Uh, it's also something working with students I've, I've, uh, uh, used as a way of, uh, helping structure PhD theses. Um, you know, so, so very, you know, quite commonly somebody, uh, you know, might have a whole bunch of work that they've done over the course of their years of doing PhD work. And how does this all fit together? How does this, you know, relate together? And of course, obviously a lot of the way in which, uh, PhD, um, research is rationalized these days is that it's all according to plan, which is laid down right in the first three months or even in the proposal right at the start. But I, I quite favor people having uh at least alongside that uh a practice where they just do a bunch of exploratory stuff and then reflect on it and organize it and annotate it mm. so that's where this concept of annotation comes from uh so you know i'm not saying that this is like um uh um you know richer or superior to anything else we might talk about but it does have a specific history uh, uh and a specific line of of of, of, of thinking and mm. yeah no, it's, it, it, it is really interesting to hear about yeah i suppose yeah ways of reading a corpus and 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 and, and this kind of referential uh, heterarchical kind of uh relationship between a reading of a corpus and a document and 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 ways that uh different things can be connected and, and read and how those readings can be read and and, and yeah 
sending one's reading back to the original source or not uh, yes yeah, it's it's a yeah, rich and yeah. complex uh, subject yeah. that I, I find really interesting yeah and I, I think a lot of it exists in some ways in a in a kind of different semantic field from some other notions you know some other notions of uh, of categorization and inclusion and uh inheritance and uh you know um certainly some of the, the 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 sort of ways in some you know vernaculars of object-oriented thinking that uh in computer science one has where there are you know properties that are inherited in various ways this is this is this is a different kind of way of thinking it's it's a it's a way of thinking which perhaps lends more to the later wittgenstein and you know where there's family resemblances mm. patterns of similarity and difference uh where the logic is is um it, it, it is one of family resemblance rather than um necessary and sufficient conditions you know so mm. uh and i think i think you know computationally we're often very much drawn to things which have uh you know um that that, that kind of truth conditional semantics as their logic you know if this and this and this and this then that right mm. and um and I think I think certainly the idea of annotation and the way and and uh, you know is, is is to think more in terms of of family resemblances, patterns of similarities and difference, and also ideas. I, I mean, this is this is getting into a bit, you know, some technical kind of discussions of uh, of you know different ways of thinking about semantics, but also ideas of uh, you know the Wittgensteinian idea of a criterion is very interesting as well. You know, something which well is number of different elucidations of it but something which is like necessarily good evidence mm. something which is like you know empirical but also logical um that that idea that idea something which has a, a and also a socio-logic something which is its logic is associated with uh uh you know with 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 communities with forms of understanding forms of understanding and practice uh uh, again, I'm keen keen to have those kinds of things alive in how we think about uh, um, technical affairs and design affairs. Mm, yeah, and something that I think is with great interest to to people who are using Flucoma for for navigation of their of their archives and mm, and, and, mm, and collections mm. and, and and things like that. Mm. Yeah, I think it's mm. it's a really interesting conversation to have. Um. Great. So uh, finally, um, I think that perhaps a good way to kind of round off our chat uh, would be to hear about something that I think we've been, I mean, we've been skirting around it a lot and we've talked uh, about things, but uh, we perhaps haven't talked specifically about um, your thoughts uh, on uh, of, of what you call uh, performance ecologies um so you cite people uh like simon waters uh bruno latour tim ingold karen barad and in some of our chats before today i also mentioned ben pike dora hannan and christopher small um i think 
I, I mean, you know, without wanting to draw kind of broad generalizations, but I think ideas of ecologies, networks, meshworks, environments, landscapes, and, mm. and also emergence, movement, wayfinding, being as process, um, they all strike me as, as driving many contemporary approaches to music mm. and, and, yeah. and indeed sociology and thinking about ontology in, in general. Mm. Mm. Um, However, many of the people that gravitate around metaphors and perspectives of this kind seem to have their their particular bespoke views, which mm -hmm, mm -hmm. incidentally is is very much kind of in keeping with the ideas that we're talking about. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder maybe to finish, uh, you could uh, you could explain what performance ecologies are to you. Mm -hmm. And perhaps how you situate your thinking in, in regards to to, to other approaches. Yeah, there's um there's certainly a lot of related thinking around. Um and in some ways to unpack that, there's there's no substitute for careful scholarship, unfortunately. <laughs> um so if I take a, a figure like uh Tim Ingold, um there are some things that in it's, in the, it's either in lines or making, or maybe it's in both, because there is some overlap in his his work, um, where he says some, you know, frankly outrageous things about computing technology, um, and things which just uh, uh, do, just don't seem to match some of the, uh, you know, the more uh, ambitious design work that I know of, and uh, um, and and. And there's, uh, there's sometimes in his work, there's a, there are, there are, there are dualisms. And you sometimes wonder whether they're, uh, you know, really helping him. Um, uh, and they, they, they can establish, you know, like, okay, there is this thing, uh, which we think is the, the sum total of this thing. Uh, but actually there's this thing, which actually is, is more interesting and, or is, you know, like wayfinding versus navigation, so on, wayfinding. Um, and there's, there's, uh, uh, contrasts, uh, uh, in, in Ingold between word processing and handwriting and things like that, uh, which, uh, which, 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 which is then used as a kind of vehicle for saying, you know, I think, I think some kind of quite naive things about, you know, um, design with digital technology. Um, but you don't, you, I mean, I wouldn't pick up on that, those sorts of things unless I'd actually, you know, sort of read him and 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 looked at detail and there's there's other things like that um um donna haraway's cyborg manifesto for example is you know widely cited and and sometimes you wonder whether people have they really gone beyond the title uh uh you know the idea of celebrating the cyborg but her that work arose in quite specific contexts in 1980s socialist feminism uh and um and again, there's 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 sort of you know details there which which are important. Um, Karen Barad and Bruno Latour. Well, um, in uh, in uh, Barad's uh, meeting the universe halfway, there's quite a few sideswipes about uh, 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 against Bruno Latour. Um, uh, I think uh, if memory serves me correctly, there's one passage where she says, "Well." You know, Latour wants this sort of uh, flat ontology of uh, you know where what can be an actor is a, is very open, 
But why does he never include women? Why does he never include classes? Why does, you know, why, why the some, in some ways, some of the traditional concepts of a lot of political thinking are absent? They, you know, there's, it's more likely to, you know, include actually still, uh, you know, a heroic inventor or scientist, a uh, male, uh, and, and, uh, the contexts and institutions that, uh, uh, that 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 uh, scientist works with that that's a much more likely sort of scenario for populating the network uh than thinking um uh uh, uh with uh you know other traditional sociological concepts so what how do we position those concepts and do they you know are they just being ignored is there actually is there something which is you know revealing of of some political commitments there and Barad's quite quite uh um critical there so, you know, while there are families of concern there, you know, as I say, there's no real substitute for some sort of detailed scholarship looking at the particular arguments for actually finding your way through this. So in some ways, you you know, you asking me, well, so what's when I talk about ecologies, what's in it for me? Yeah, yeah. And, and what's in it for me is quite possibly quite different from what might be in it for other people. Uh, for in So when I sort of first write, started writing about performance ecologies, which was when during my sort of master's thesis time in early 2000s. Um, I was I was transposing to the uh, context of uh, improvisation, uh, particularly electroacoustic, broadly speaking, electroacoustic improvisation. Some of the concerns and methods that people were um, applying in computer-supported cooperative work, the research area you mentioned a little while ago, was kind of adjunct or part of or critical relationship with HCI, you know, however we wish to formulate that. And I was very active in that research field for a while, particularly doing ethnographic work of, 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 uh, in connection with work settings. Uh, um, and... And there were ideas about there about thinking ecologically about the work setting. And this in part was also borrowing from ecological psychology from JJ Gibson. Um, the idea that, uh, and the, but the idea that a, a socially organized work setting would, uh, uh, make available at a glance, uh, certain kinds of, uh, uh, you would know certain kinds of things about a work setting because of how it was physically organized, because of the artifacts there, because of uh, the, the maybe maybe the way people in their embodied activity would uh, you know display what they were doing, and that you'd be able to pick up on those things. Uh, uh, and, and seeing so seeing a, a, a sort of work environment as an ecology of multiple artifacts, people, uh, devices, all sorts of stuff, um, gave a, 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 you know, a, a take, which I thought could be interestingly transposed into looking at, um, electroacoustic improvisation. And that's very much what I did at that time. Um, and so the idea of a performance ecology for me came from that. So it came from thinking about, well, Rather than, you know, thinking about our relations with, um, um, devices, artifacts on, you know, like, like maybe say some of the dominant work in, um, Nine was, was and still does do, 
um which which sees things in a in a in a certain sort of on a certain kind of hci paradigm uh let's think of an extended ecology of artifacts uh devices uh see what different gestures uh, uh or activities different ones afford see if all of those things in relationship to each other uh see how um uh even one's uh gestures flipping a fader on a fader box might make available to a co-performer an indication that you're doing a certain kind of thing that the co-performer might take account of see how those things also might be made available to an audience etc etc uh and those are all sort of affairs that i felt were appropriately thought of as ecological affairs as thinking of a, a, a of, of an ecology of performance and Simon Waters, um, uh, he writes about performance ecosystems, and his perspective is 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 I think slightly different. I think his his perspective is not uh, is not so much or not exclusively on that kind of local structuring of performance activities, but in terms of uh, uh, further material, cultural, and historical contexts in which those performances take place, and uh, so certainly in his more recent work, that's that's the direction. That's what we're you know pointed towards looking at is, uh, um, and his his some of his recent work on um, the history of the flute uh, is is it, which is really fascinating, really fascinating, and. Um, uh, that's uh that kind of uh uh point points in 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 in, the, in that sort of direction yeah but i i in some ways was looking at at certain sorts of things which were more within a a, a kind of local or even uh you know tabletop full of shit context um yeah so um so thinking about performance ecologies uh then makes me thinking what well, sometimes i have the slogan of you know ask not what's in the artifact but what the artifact is in right uh so ask not what's i i gave a a, a seminar once i think uh, on this which was about it was at uh uh i think it was at huddersfield it was one of the creative coding sort of events and i i i, I had the slogan you know ask not what's in the code but what the code is in and that's um uh, and that's an adaptation of a slogan of J.J. Gibson, where he um, kind of uh, ironizes uh, uh, cognitive psychological approaches to visual perception by saying, you know, ask not what's in the head, but what the head is in. Right. And that that's that's really in some ways that's the turning. That's that's the turn. You know, that's the the in some ways the ecological turn is, uh, you know, once if, if you have a if you have a sort of bounding, an enframement, a segmentation of of something, you know, be it a um, an imitation game, a Chinese room, um, a quantum physics experiment, or whatever, you have some kind of or a conceptual one, and you have some kind of bounding. Uh, I think I think to go ecological about that is to ask, well, not what lies within, but what does that whole construction, what's outside of that whole construction, what does that lie within, and. Uh, and that to me is the kind of ecological turn and it's something it's a it's a strategy that i think i, I you know i like to apply to research issues very generally mm. that's great and i think uh a very very elegant and concise kind of formulation to 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 
to refer back to many of the things that we've been talking about today. Um, John, thank you so much. That was, it was fascinating. It was really, really interesting. Um, for the people who are listening, uh, as usual, uh, the um, all of the links that we and the references we've been talking about today are going to be uh, linked to on the page on, of the Flucoma Learn platform where this uh, video will be uh, living. And um, if you're watching on YouTube or any of the various audio podcast um streams then uh, there will be a link to that in 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 the description um so yeah john thank you so much that was really really fascinating um it's been a great pleasure talking to you and uh i shall hope to see more of your work in the future and speak to you again soon yes and more flucoma guaranteed into the future oh yes good news <laughs> all right speak to you again soon okay bye for now bye.